All right. Good to see you here. Hey, praise God. That's great. I'm glad for that. Uh, just a couple of things real quick on, uh, on announcements. All right, good. Got a visitor. Two of them. Well, praise God. Good to have you here. Absolutely. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, so I was thinking, we're, we're going to be having this work day on the 26th, and we're going to be having a dumpster here. I thought, okay, I know how we can help pay for that. If anybody has something large that they need to get rid of, it's 20 bucks. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, when I say large, you know, like three by three by three. Anything bigger than that, 40 bucks. I don't know, you know. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, doing some doing some cleanup here. So, and uh, the Greens are with us tonight as well. They are not back home way over there. So we're glad to have them here. Praise God. All right. I think that's, I won't, no, nothing more on, uh, on announcements. We'll make that uh, next week. We do have to say this. Uh, some of you know Don and Shirley that usually sit over here. Uh, he is away. He's out of the state right now. She's here, but they both have COVID. And uh, not only do they have COVID, but she's got pneumonia as well and not sounding good. So I told her, hey, we're going to be praying for you. So anyway, excellent. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Looking forward to this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would guide now in, in this time. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the change that comes because of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be a great priority uh, in our lives sharing it, growing in it. Lord, in this day and age, there is so much of a need for this world to know Thee. So bless, we pray, in this time in Your Word, in Christ's name, amen. Actually, I will mention one more. Some of you saw in the very back row this morning the Ledoux family, and uh, he has been hurting when it comes to an infection with his gallbladder and such, and he's been doing better, et cetera, et cetera. I got a, I got a text message this afternoon. She said, would you please pray for my husband? Uh, I had to take him back to the ER. So it just, it's, it has really been a tough, it's really been a tough situation. The title of the message tonight is The Sweet Savor of Our Savior. Now, remember I told you before, I love 2 Corinthians. And there are places in there where you just, you land, you land on a portion of the text, and it's just a joy to just meditate on. And that's one of those things tonight. You know, it's, it's really, it's really kind of sad when you hear the, the, the overall state of the, um, of the world when it comes to truly seeking out the Lord. 
There is uh, there's a guy on YouTube, and I've told you before, I get a kick out of YouTube. There's some things there. It's just, they're, they're, some of it's not so. But other things, it's like, you know, I, I'm getting some information here that's pretty interesting. There's a guy, his last name is Briggs, and he puts out this thing, the world according to Briggs. You know that? Okay. So, you know, so he's putting, so I'm not the only weird one here then. Um, <laughs> exactly. But I, I mean, just all kinds of stuff about the United States and some information you can get on the world. But one thing that was really interesting that just came out yesterday or the day before yesterday was how many people believe in God? How many are atheists? Did you see that? That, that was really, that was really something. I, I'm telling you, Europe is absolutely destitute of the Christianity that used to thrive there. You know, nations, 65 and 70 plus percent of nations that say, I don't believe in God. I mean, Norway, Sweden, France, you know, just on and on and on, the mid-60s on up. Um, Linda, you're, you're, is Linda here? She's not here. They, they, according to the statistics that he found, uh, 91% of the people in China say they don't believe in God. Now, I, you know, I, I kind of I wonder about that because the gospel is getting through China. But the point is, is there were so many um, in, 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 uh, in communist nations like Vietnam, again, and China, but then so much in Europe. And it got me to thinking, my soul, we've got a situation where when the Antichrist comes, they're going to know next to nothing about what the Bible says about anything and things to come. They'll embrace him just like that. No problem. So... Anyway, in, in looking at that and then reading this and the testimony of the Apostle Paul, it's like, boy, if they would just hear him out. Now, in reading this passage, we're going to be catching Paul in mid-thought. But there's a couple of things that he shares here I wanted to share with you because of the challenge that it gave me and the joy that it did. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 10. Paul wrote, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Now, you remember that there was the man that was in some wicked and a wicked situation, uh, immoral situation that he addressed in the letter, the first Corinthian letter. And, uh, boy, they, they took it to heart when he went after that situation. And I'm not going to go into the detail, but when he went after that situation and saying, my soul, do you realize what you're putting up with here? The, the ungodly don't even do this. And yet you are not only, you know, you've not only got it in your church, but it's almost like you're acting like it's, oh, that's okay. That's fine. No problem. 
And so, I mean, they took care of the situation to the point where Paul is saying, hey, you know, listen, if you forgive, I forgive also. You have taken care of it. All your zeal, he talks about later on, and all that. But then he mentions something here. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, we're not going to do it. We're, we're, if you go back into the previous verses, Paul kind of, he shared with some, uh, about some challenges that he had in, in waiting for different um, brothers like Titus. And so he goes on into, okay, I'm, I'm writing to you about then what, what has been going on. And he says, you know, I'm glad to do this. I'm doing it in the person of Christ, in the name of Christ, because of this particular thing. Now, the Greek word, you see the last phrase that is there, ignorant of his devices. The word devices comes from a Greek word, which means that which is thought out. Satan is not God. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's he's none of those things. But he and his minions have watched mankind for the last 6,000 plus years. And he knows our triggers. He knows our weaknesses, folks. You hear that? He knows what to do, the little nuances, every little thing to get us everything from discouraged to bitter to angry. He knows how to divide us. He knows how to trip us. He knows all this. And he says we are not ignorant of his devices. Therefore, there are things that we need to be careful of. For instance, if there is forgiveness that is needed, do it. If there is care that needs to be shown, show it. Whatever it is that God has given us when it comes to his will. Remember what we were talking about last week. Thy kingdom come, yes, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this isn't always easy. We know this. We know this. But the point is, he says, if we're not careful, Satan can do the proverbial checkmate. He can get us into a situation where all of a sudden we're realizing, oh man, I'm had. What do I do now to get out of this? He gets an advantage And he gets an advantage by a way that instead of seeking for God's will or asking him for wisdom, like we're told in the book of James, we wind up going with what our quote-unquote gut instinct is. Well, I think. Well, to me. 
Well, we've got to be real careful about that. Amen? And that's so in the future, in the, you know, as things be, continue to transpire, for instance, you know, when it comes to issues that our nation is facing, we're going to wind up having people see things differently. We, we, we don't launch into them. I've been going back and forth a little bit with a former student, a good young man, a great young man. But he had a difference of opinion with something that I took note of on Facebook. I didn't launch into him. I, I, I didn't attack him. Well, you know, you ought to be mature enough to see this. After all, I was your Bible teacher for three years. No, there's no, uh-uh, no. We're talking about loving like Christ loved. And therefore, we need to be careful because not only do we want fruit that remains with what God has called us to, but we recognize we have an enemy with his minions. He can get an advantage of us. We are not ignorant of how he can think things out. If we see weakness in humanity, we know that he does. Right? So we must be careful. If we're not, he will exploit a circumstance, a situation, all of that. But that's not the points that I wanted to make tonight. That's free. Look at verse 12. He said, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. Now now listen to what Paul is saying here. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. Now, just a little bit of an aside. We look at Paul, and this is... You know, we, we think of Paul, and this is what we imagine. I mean, he's got it together. The guy suffered. He went to the Lord three times. We read later on in Second in Corinthians and said, God, would you please take this, this whatever it was away from me? You know, he got scared. He got discouraged. He got despondent. And that, I believe, is why he says something that we're going to read that made me rejoice. But the point is, he is looking while he's wanting to get something done. I mean, here he is, and he's counting on a brother to be there. And he's not there. Oh, mercy. What's going on? What's going on? Titus, where are you? He had already had some of his plans changed. Again, we're not going to go to it. But in the first chapter, if you if you glean out of it, you recognize there were some things that changed. Okay, all right, that's the way it goes, and we're going to find it here. But we recognize that in this, while the Holy Spirit is guiding him in writing, while the Holy Spirit is guiding him, 
We're going to go on the journey with him out of his discouragement. So, you stop and consider what is written in other places by Paul. There was the situation, the depression, it seems, that got to him. On top of that, there was the problems in Ephesus. Paul was dealing with situations on being misunderstood when it comes to the people in the church at Corinth. And then we wind up with a situation like we find here. Now, now again, bear with me. He's in a city, Troas. Troas was founded about 300 BC. It was a Roman colony. And remember, Paul was a Roman. Someone else seems to have come along and done a great work there, and he's rejoicing in it. We can read about that in Acts chapter 20, but we don't have time. Paul had evidently hoped in the ministry there that he wanted to do to meet with Titus, coming back with news from Corinth. So he said, I have no rest in my spirit. Now, look again at verse 13. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. He wound up going a land route. This is what he says in verse 14. Look at this. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. You know, if you just read, if you just read that verse by itself, you see it as some kind of a statement, you know, like, okay, well, praise God. You know, I've, I've used that thought before. He does. He always, you know, we're always triumphing in Christ. Context is everything. The apostle Paul, in dealing with everything that he had de- dealt with, the disappointment in not meeting up with Titus, the situation at Ephesus, and that's another, that's another message. And then in Corinth with that man that was in the sin, and he says, hey, I forgive. Somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit worked in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now, finally, Titus did come. But the point is this. Here was a man that settled sometime, and we don't understand it all, but sometime in his prayers and his meditation and recognizing again his God, he says, you know what? Thanks be unto God who always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Now, if it was just a thing of saying, you know, we do better. If it was just a thing of, you know something, we get our act together. That would be one thing. But that's not what the word triumph here means. What can we say here in America, what can we talk about that nobody else understands? You know, 
what it's about. I remember growing up in Southern California, watching television in in a, in a uh, in a comedy in a comedy show or something like that. They would say something or or allude to something that, quite honestly, nobody else in the United States would get because it was from something that was local to Los Angeles. And I thought, this is kind of funny. Now, you know, when it comes to, again, what we have here, um, the Grand, how many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, we know the beauty of the Grand Canyon. Does somebody that lives on the other side of the world, do they understand that? I mean, they might have seen a couple of pictures, you know, or whatever, but unless you have been there, you got no idea. Unless you have really dug deep into what this means here, when Paul uses that word, we have no idea. It's not a thing of Paul saying, well, you know what? I'm really on top of things now. Let me tell you something. The highest honor that could be given to a victorious Roman general was a triumph. A triumph. It was something like what we would, and we don't have these anymore in the United States. It would be like a ticker tape parade, but so much more. Listen, this general, in order to even have this, number one, he must have been the commander-in-chief in the field of where this battle took place. The war must be completely finished. The region pacified. The victorious troops brought home. A minimum of 5,000 of the enemy must have fallen in one engagement. A positive extension of territory must have been gained by Rome. And not merely a disaster. No, no. It, I mean, they had to grab the proper, the, uh, the territory. The victory must have been won over a foreign foe, not a civil war situation. He would come and this is what he would get. In the triumph parade, they would march through the streets of Rome to the capital. The streets were decorated. The people were shouting and cheering, especially to the general. At the front of the parade, there came the state officials and the Senate. These officials were followed by trumpeters. And the shadow of the trumpeters were the spoils taken from the conquered land. After the spoils were displayed, there came pictures of the conquered land and models of conquered citadels and ships. The prisoners of war, enemy princes, leaders, generals would come along then and they would walk in chains awaiting imprisonment and eventually death in the Circus Maximus. These prisoners were shadowed by lictors who would smack the prisoners with their whips. Next came the musicians playing their music, their triumphant music, all dedicated to the general. This is what Paul is talking about. 
This is what he's saying causes us to triumph. Finally came the victorious conquering general himself. He stood in this chariot adorned with ivory, plates of gold, and usually drawn by two to four beautiful white horses. Other animals have been used to draw the chariot. When Pompey triumphed over Africa, his chariot was drawn by elephants. I hope they kept them under control. Lions drew the chariot of Mark Antony. Others actually used tigers or deer. Fascinating to read. The children, the children of the general, would sit at the feet of the general in his chariot or followed behind in another chariot. The general was adorned in a purple tunic, embroidered with golden palm leaves, and over it a purple toga marked out with golden stars. Again, the people that Paul is writing to, they understand completely what he's saying. We read this and it's like, (laughs) wow, I've never seen anything like that before. They would go, hey, if I haven't, I know somebody who has, and they are incredible. A slave would hold over the head of the general the crown of Jupiter in order to keep him humble amidst all the honors. The slave would remind him of all his faults and his vices. You don't need a slave. Just put the guy's wife there. You know, holding up there and say, you know something I done. Uh oh, yeah. Now I am not. I am not alluding to anybody. There would be others that would come along, but the 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 point is this. This is what Paul talked about. Now, what's fascinating is this. What's fascinating is this. Paul said, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. One guy that I read, he brought up an interesting, he brought up an, uh, an interesting viewpoint. We might be tempted to say this. Yes, that's me in the chariot. This is what God has done for me. And I'm riding through, and boy, here's the people that I have just taken charge. You know, He said, no. He says, I see Paul as saying this. It is Christ that is in the chariot. We are part of those who are in chains, as it were. We're servants of God. He has, he has over, he has conquered us. But not to death, he has gotten us and he has saved us and he has conquered our enemies. They are doomed. We are not. Just a thought. In so thinking about this, we we think about what Paul said here. First of all, Galatians 1. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Now listen to this. 
For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant, literally the doulos, the slave of Christ. And then when Paul wrote Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant, slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Just something interesting to think about. And there's more. We're going to be getting to it. But first, I think I've got to sneeze. (laughs) I'm trying not to. Oh, boy. What do you do if you're on live television? I'm on live internet. Well, that's all right. Stop and consider the Apostle Paul, the attitude that he had when it came to the Lord. In 2 Timothy 4, he wrote this, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. When it comes to the triumph in Christ, he's saying, I I believe I see Paul looking ahead to the time when he would stand before the Lord at the Bema seat. So he makes a good point there. But we just know this. Christ triumphed. Christ overcame. We are not condemned. We, like Paul, ought to see ourselves as slaves of the Lord. But in triumph with him. He went through difficult times. We've gone through this before. We read, we didn't read it just now, but a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, forgive me, Paul said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now, that's something that we need to remember in just a little bit what we're going to be alluding to. There's an illustration when it comes to us being a slave of Christ that I came across that I thought was fascinating. In a city of Italy, where there are those that believe the best history's best violins were made, there is a, there's a man by the name of Andre Moscone. He has had one task for years. And I can't remember exactly when this was written, but they said for the past 30 years, six days a week, The old musician has gone to the museum in this city where the 300-year-old violins are stored in display cases. 300 years old. Each morning, before the museum opens to the public, Moscone plays each violin for six to seven minutes. He begins with basic scales and then makes his way to Tchaikovsky and Bartok and Bach and all that. Over the course of an hour, he plays three violins made by Amatis, 
two by this other guy, Guanaris, and four by Stradivarius. Stradivari. Why does he do it? This is what he said. The wood gets tired. It's good for the violins to be played, not to just sit there. It's not good for them to do that. And, you know, it's interesting to stop and think about that. You know, we're not just simply resting in Christ in a couch. We are servants of God. We have been given the victory. But we don't rest now. We need to be serving Him. Why? Look at this. Look at the latter part of verse 14. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. I love this. Verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that are saved and them that perish. To the one... We are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? In the book of John, chapter 12, we're not going to go there, but in the book of John, the word savor is translated odor. It describes the fragrance which in the, uh, in the Bethany home where Mary poured the ointment over the Lord. Okay. Paul saw the Christian life in those terms. The priests in the Old Testament would be anointed with oil. They said it was so very pleasant, but also that it got to the point where they would not only wear it when they were busy there in the temple, but also it would go with them when they would go home. They said there were times <laughs> you could smell a priest before you could see a priest. You could smell him coming. But, but now, again, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is the situation that we have. There ought to be something, or there actually is something, I should say, that when we trust Christ, it changes us. There are some situations where we wind up hindering it. We wind up getting into sin, somewhat of what we were alluding to this morning when it comes to the attitude of the heart. But stop and consider what Paul is saying to the believer that is obedient, to the believer that is seeking the Lord, to the believer that is a witness of the grace of God, people are going to recognize you stink like Jesus. I mean, that's a rough way to put it, but it's it's really, this is what, This is what he's saying. 
You know, it used to be, I, I don't know how popular it is now, but you know how, I mean, there, 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 was, there, there was perfume that, that my wife would wear. I would recognize it. That's her. When it comes to Christ, it's not a smell per se, but it's a persona. But again, stop and think about what he's saying here. You can have an impact, but it's not always going to be the same impact. You know as well as I do. There are people that you can be with. There's people that you can work with. They find out you're a Christian. That's it. You're not their friend. They'll do anything they can to give you a hard time, whatever it might be. That's it. Why? Because they hate Jesus. They don't want our God. But at the same time, like this last Friday when I was talking with Sean, found out he's a believer. Hey, praise God, it's old home week. We had a great time talking. We gather together on Sunday. It's a joy. The savor is life unto life. But then there's others. It's death unto death. And then he makes this statement. And who is sufficient for these things? That passage really grabbed me. You know, you stop and consider this. We look at what we are to be as believers in this present world. And quite honestly, as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we pray about it, we'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. And he says, you're right, you can't. But I can. Listen, the believer will look at what Paul is talking about and go, my soul, how can I be that kind of testimony? And Paul catches, or he he beats us to it. He says, hey, who is sufficient for these things? Two chapters later, he talks about it, and we're going to be going there. He says, hey, our sufficiency is in Christ. But the point is this for tonight. If we can remember this, we go out into the world. We're going to affect people in all different ways. They might be wondering a little bit about us when it comes to our Christianity. What do you believe? You know, my grandma, she was really, did she go to hell when she died? Because she didn't believe in God. Oh, wow, there's stuff that can come along. I mean, they got the questions and all that. And you know the great possibility of what's on the other side of that question. But then there are others. It's like, you know, I've been thinking about all this. Could you tell me a little bit more? There was a... there was another fellow that was here, and I'm, I'm, I've got his card, I've got his number. I'm going to be talking to him later on about this, about a project here at the church. And uh, he just, he wanted to talk about what was going on in the world. And I said, well, you know something, as far as the world is concerned, 
It's not falling apart, it's falling into place. And then we got to talking about other, and then he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You really got me with what you just said. What are you talking about? And I just started telling him, hey, there's coming a time, and I told him about Antichrist and people that are making decisions right now, and, you know, heaven and hell and all that. He goes, wow, I've been thinking about that. He says, I'm Catholic, but I consider myself a Christian. I said, have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Oh, yeah, I have. You know, I really have. Okay, well, praise God. But we're going to be talking again. But here's the point. That's what he wanted to talk about. Folks, when we go out there, there are going to be some people, they're going to respond one way, and we wish they would respond a better way. Again, we've talked about this. We, we, mentioned, we mentioned this. There are people in Scripture, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. Same house, different reaction. How do you describe it? I don't know, but I just know this. People make a choice. Question, who is sufficient for these things. We've got an impact to make. It's the savor of our Savior. There were people that loved him. In fact, there were a lot of people when he was doing the miracles. Oh, listen, get Uncle Joe there. He, you know, he's he's blind. You, you know, go mention all kinds of things. Or the food, I mean, even the Lord said, you know, you're here. <laughs> when the food was there, you know, you really like seeing me. I'm paraphrasing, I understand that. But the point is, there were some that loved him that far. And then things changed. There's a, um, uh, there's an author. Maybe some of you uh, read him, I did. I loved getting snippets of his books in Reader's Digest. His name was James Harriet. Remember the book series, All Creatures Great and Small? How many, of you, how many of you ever read those? Yeah, just good stuff. He tells an interesting story. He says, there was a sheep which died while giving birth to a lamb. No other sheep would suckle the lamb. It didn't have the right odor. So it happened that on the same farm, another sheep gave birth to a lamb that died at birth. The farmer skinned the dead lamb, wrapped the fleece around the motherless lamb. The sheep that lost her lamb sniffed the orphan when it was presented to her, smelled her own lamb, and fed the lamb. Smell means a whole lot. Recognition. Response. I love it. Paul asked a question that I know that maybe, just maybe, He got an idea that it's going to trigger some people. And it has for 2,000 years. Who is sufficient for these things? 
It was in his mind because two chapters later, our sufficiency is in Christ. He painted out the enormity of what we deal with. There are some, they'll hate your guts. There are some, in other words, like I heard one preacher put one time decades ago, he says, you'll either duck or pucker. You know, they're either going to fight you or they're going to kiss you, you know, whatever. But it's how they respond to your Jesus. Who is sufficient for these things? Everybody who has the Savior and relies on him. For without him, we can do nothing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we might be tempted to look out at our week this week and think about people that we wish to speak to or be an influence to, and the thought comes, Lord, I'm not sufficient. Thank you that we are reminded our sufficiency is in you. And the Lord, meanwhile, help us to be mindful of the schemes of the devil, the thought-out plans that he tries to trip up your people, to get them to stumble, get them to doubt. Lord, we rejoice in the victory that we have in you. You have triumphed over all, and we are part of that triumph. Thank you for what we have in you. May it be evident in how we live our lives this week. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.